Welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. My name is Pastor Micah. So glad you're here worshiping with us again on the second Sunday of our Christmas uh, series and celebration. And uh, so if we're going to jump right into God's Word today. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. And um, last week we started this brand new series for Christmas called The New King. And in this series, we're taking a moment to actually go back into the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, and to look at this prophecy that God gave us about this new king, this Messiah that was going to come into the earth and save God's people and change the world. And uh, that all came true in what we celebrate is Christmas and Jesus and his birth. And so we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 9 again today. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get to Isaiah 9. Uh, go on and go to the middle of your Bible and maybe a little bit to the, to the right you'll find Isaiah. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and follow along there. We'd love for you to do that with us as well. Uh, so we're going to be mainly in Isaiah 9, but then we're also going to jump over into Matthew and John here in a little bit and look at some examples in Jesus' life of how this prophecy was proven true. And so... Um, as, we're, as, as I was kind of preparing this week and looking at the different names of, of Christ again, and um, I was reading this story of, about a father and a son that were Christmas shopping. And so this father takes his son, Billy, out to the mall to do some Christmas shopping. And as usual, if you've got little kids and you're in the mall, you've got to stop and you've got to do the Santa thing, right? And so they end up in JCPenney's and Santa's there. And, and so they get in line and they're waiting to see Santa. They finally get to the front and and Billy gets up on Santa's lap and he's like, all right, Billy, what do you want for Christmas this year? And he's like, um, I want an Xbox and a Hobbit game. And Sam's like, okay, I think we can probably handle that, you know, you know, have a good day, Merry Christmas, whatever. So Billy gets down and, and him and his dad kind of go on with the rest of their shopping for the day. And so they're making their way through the mall. Later that day, they end up over at Macy's this time. And um, there's another Santa over at Macy's because... That's what we do here. We have Santas everywhere in America. So they get back in line because Billy obviously wants to do the Santa thing because you always get candy when you're done with Santa too, right? So there's a double payoff here. So he gets back in line with Santa. He gets up on Santa's lap and says, what do you want for Christmas, Billy? And Billy says, I want an Xbox and a Hobbit game. And he said, okay, uh, that sounds good. He's like, do you promise me that you'll be really, really good for your dad and obey him this year? And uh, he kind of looked at Santa and he kind of looked over his dad. He's like, dad, I want to go back to the other Santa. And dad's like, why? What's wrong? He's like, I didn't have to make deals with that one. Like, let me go back over. Sometimes it kind of feels that way a little bit. Like Santa's, you got to play make a deal with Santa. It's what's one of the great, great things about the difference between Santa and Jesus. Jesus doesn't play make a deal, right? There isn't anything we have to do to earn things, to get close to Jesus, to get him to, to come. Actually, Jesus' heart, his desire, the reason he came to this earth was for us, was to shower us with his favor, to shower us with blessing and grace and forgiveness. He wants to give to us. He wants to speak into our lives. And one of the greatest gifts that Jesus can give you this Christmas season, and hopefully one of the greatest gifts that you would desire from him this Christmas season, is more of God's power in your life. Anybody in favor of that today? You might want to experience more of God's power in your day-to-day -day life. The prophecy that we're going to look at today about Jesus tells us that that is a reality. That is possible. Because one of the things that God said that when his son came, when the Messiah came, that he would be called Mighty God. Which means that if he's the Mighty God, he has the power to rule. He has the power to do whatever he desires. And so here's kind of the main thought this morning. Jesus wants to manifest God's power in my life. Jesus wants to manifest 
God's power in my life, in your life. And so if you have Isaiah 9 open there, look at verse 6 with me. We read this last week, but we'll do it again. This is a great verse to just kind of have in your heart. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the first thing we see here from this prophecy is that Jesus is the manifestation of God's power. That when Jesus came and was born in the flesh as a baby, he became the manifestation of God's power here on earth. Here in the second title he gives him is Mighty God, which I said earlier means that he has the power. He has the power to rule. And we see examples all throughout the scriptures of God's mighty power ruling and reigning over everything. You can go all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament at creation where God spoke into existence the entire universe. Didn't have to lift a finger, didn't have to break a sweat, didn't have to like, you know, go gather supplies. Like he just spoke and creation burst into being. That's power, right? We have examples of not too long after there, um, we humans kind of messed things up and got the world all twisted with sin and it had gotten to such a place that the world was so sinful that God said, I, I, can't, I can't go any further with this people. I need to start over. And so I'm gonna take Noah and his family, I'm gonna set them aside and I'm gonna send a flood to take out all the other sin on the earth, and he flooded the entire world for over a hundred days. That's power to open up the heavens and just drop that much water to cover the entire earth. A while after that, Noah's family grows and kind of goes in different directions, and they end up, God chooses out of them the Israelites, his chosen people, and because of a famine, they end up in Egypt underneath the thumb of Pharaoh. And they actually become slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And God's ready to set his people free. And so he goes to Pharaoh through Moses and tells him, hey, let him go. And Pharaoh refuses and refuses and refuses. And God starts to show his power once again through the ten plagues that he sends to convince Pharaoh to let him go. Finally, he breaks through Pharaoh's hard heart and Pharaoh releases them. But then they end up, he ends up chasing them as they're leaving, trying to get them back. And they get uh, they get cornered against the Red Sea, nowhere to go. And God says, all right, I got power for that too. I'll just move the waters and you can walk across on dry land. After that, we have battle after battle after battle where God sends his power in to defeat the enemies of Israel and show that no one can stand up against their God. I could go on and on and on with the examples of God's power coming and bearing its weight on the earth, on humanity. And God says that same power, the power of the mighty God is going to manifest itself in this baby who's going to be born King, Messiah, forever, Jesus. The God, the Son, manifests the power of God at his birth. But it's not just at his birth. First, we see it at creation. Check out this verse. This will be on the screen for you. John 1, 3. All things were made through him, it's talking about Jesus here, 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things. You know what all means there in the Greek? All. Yeah, exactly, right? It's pretty simple. It's all things were created through Jesus Christ. He was there at creation in did he have the name of Jesus yet? No. Was he in human form yet? No. But God the Son eternally existed with God the Father. He was present at creation, being the manifestation of God's power. As God spoke things into existence, somehow that creativity came through God the Son to actually create all things that we see today. So we see God the Son, Jesus, is already manifesting God's power even at creation. But then again, we also see it at his birth. Check this, Luke 1, 30 through 35. You'll be familiar with this part probably. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You ever notice every time an angel shows up, they have to tell people not to be afraid? That that should tell us something about angels, right? Like they're not like the little cute things you hang on your fridge. Like they're, they're, never mind. Okay. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power, key word, of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, Son of God. So here, the angel is telling Mary that this prophecy from Isaiah 9 is about to be fulfilled. Did you see all the parts in there, right? There's, you're going to bear a son. He's going to be from the throne of David. He's going to have a kingdom that is forever. Like he's, he's pretty much just repeating what we just read from Isaiah chapter 9. And Mary's like, how is this going to happen? I, I, I haven't gotten to that place yet in my life. I don't think babies come yet, according to mechanics of humanity, right? Like this is, he's like, don't worry. God's power. Through the form of the Holy Spirit, God's power is going to come upon you and a miracle is going to happen in your life. A two-part miracle. First, a virgin is going to give birth. That's enough of a miracle in and of itself. But not just any baby, it's going to be born. This is going to be the God-man. 100% God, 100% man in one being. How does that work? I don't know. Let me just tell you something. If you want to have a God and a, and a religion and a church where you have every answer figured out, you're in the wrong place, friends. We serve a God and we follow a God that is powerful and huge and awesome and way beyond what our finite man, minds can fully understand. There are some things that we need to take by faith. And here, a miracle happens through the power of the Holy Spirit because he is a mighty God and he can do that. Just, I can't help myself, just as a quick little sidebar here. Here at Harvest, our name, our full name is Harvest Bible Chapel. We believe that this book, the Bible, God's Word, is ultimately the most important source that we have in our life. And that every single word in here is true and relevant and important and needed for our lives. And unfortunately, there are some in Christianity, pastors, teachers, theologians, professors, who have started to 
say that certain parts of God's word are no longer important. That you don't necessarily need that. Like, for example, you know, it, the creation account. It doesn't really matter if it was a literal six days or a figurative six you know, That ultimately, as long as we have Jesus and that he was born and that he died and that he, you know, he rose from grave and that he forgives, that's all we really need is just Jesus. We don't have to have all the other stuff. And so it doesn't really matter if the creation account's true or not. In fact, we don't even really need the Old Testament at all anymore because that's all like, you know, previous God's wrath stuff. Like we just need Jesus in his resurrection and that's enough to prove Christianity. And some have even kind of taken it to the point where they're saying we don't really need the virgin birth. It's not really that important, right? It doesn't matter if she was a virgin or not. He was God. He died on the cross for our sins. He, he rose from the grave. That's all we need. Here's the problem with that line of thought. If you keep following that long enough, rejecting any part of the Bible because it seems unrealistic or super, too supernatural or you know, hard to swallow, rejecting any part of the Bible makes God a liar. Because God says that he said everything that's in here and that it's all true and it's from him. And if we start to say parts of it aren't, then we're saying that he's a liar. And it challenges who he is, and it challenges his character, and it challenges his power, and it challenges his promises. And pretty soon, if I don't like this part, I can just cross that part off and cross this part off, and I can start picking and choosing, and I become the authority on what's true, rather than God being the authority on what he says is true. Are you following what I'm saying? This is important because this is how God has chosen to teach us and to reveal himself to us and to call us to a relationship with him. The Bible isn't the thing that needs to change. It's our hearts that need to change. If you can't handle some part of the Bible, if you can't swallow it, if you think it's too far out there, it's not the book that needs to change. It's your heart in submission to a holy and perfect and powerful God that needs to change. He showed us his power in creation, he showed us his power in his birth, but he also showed us his power in his life. John 1.18 says this, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Right? So Jesus is the revelation of mighty God in human form. That's what that verse just said. Right? That no one else has ever physically seen God in a form that our eyes can register, only Jesus. That's what we get to see. That's the representation that God sent us so we can see who he is. And part of that is his power. He's the embodiment of God's power and rule. He's the manifestation of God's power on earth. One thing that has definitely changed our world and our lives uh, you can argue for better or worse later, uh, are smartphones, right? Can we just agree on that today, right? Like, let's just do a little, little poll today. Everybody pull out. Show me who's got smartphones in here today. Let's just do a little poll. Pull them out. Come on. Get them up. Let's see them. Some of y'all have Androids. We'll count those as like semi-smartphones, okay? Um, but uh, everybody's got one, right? Like, not put it away. I don't want you like, you know, Snapchat and during my sermon. So put that away now, okay? So, but these devices have changed everything that we do. Right? They've, they've changed the way we act, they've changed the way we live, they changed, and, and I found this picture this week, um, 
this like 1980s, 1990s technology picture. Check this out. Every single one of those devices, every single thing that you see in that picture is now available in here, in your hand, in your pocket, all the time, right? All of it. These have created much greater access for us, and they've changed the way we interact with things. Like, for example, pictures. We were just having Thanksgiving at our house um, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, and we had all our, my family in there, and so I was sitting there, and we were talking with my sisters about pictures and phones and stuff, and my one sister was like, yeah, I never delete any pictures. She's like, I just, I, I, when it starts filling up, I just move into the cloud, or I just, you know, buy a new phone with bigger memory or whatever. She's like, I don't delete any pictures. There's no point to delete pictures. I, I just keep them all. So, like, all the crazy screenshots and, you know, like, the grocery store list and, like, the crazy guy you saw at the mall that you had to text to your spouse. You're like, hey, check this guy out, right? Like, all those pictures are still on our phone, right? Like, the, the quotes that you have to take pictures of up here on the screens because Micah talks too fast, like all that's still on the phone, right? And so she never deletes any of it. Why? She didn't have to. We take way more pictures than we ever took before. Why? Because we have greater access to the pictures. We have greater, we can just pull it out any moment and you're ready to go, right? Or Google, right? So like used to, if you had a question, you had to like think about it or you had to ask somebody or you had to like go to the library and figure it out. No, not anymore. You know, I got a question. What's this? What's that? I don't know. Google it. Right? We just play, hey, Siri, what's this? Right? We were driving. Uh, I was driving my, my daughter somewhere or yesterday to go Christmas shopping. She's like, Daddy, what's the, uh, what's the biggest river in the world? And I'm like, I think I know that, but I'm not positive. She's like, why don't you just ask Siri? And I'm like, okay, Karis, thanks for that. So we just asked Siri and Siri told us what the longest river in the world was, right? Like we'll be sitting on the couch watching TV or whatever, and, and you know, the actor comes up on the screen, and you're like, man, what else has he been in? Anybody else play this game, right? Like, what else has he been in? And so Corey immediately, I pulled out the phone, she's like going to IMDb, like, oh, just look at like, no, no, no. Like, we got to figure this out. We got to think about it. Um, like, Google is killing our brain cells, because we don't think about anything anymore. We just look it up, because we have greater access. Videos. Is it even possible to go to a kid's program anymore where you don't see every parent with their phone or worse yet, their iPad above their head, taping the entire thing, right? And sometimes it's like both parents together. I'm like, you're in the same house. Just like share the video, right? Like, but like everybody, because there's greater access. That's what Jesus did with God's power. When he came in the flesh, when he was born a man, when he lived and walked and died, he increased our access to God's power. We always had it before. The Old Testament, they, they would add God's power through the temple and through the priests and through the sacrifices. And so the, they saw they could tap into God's power, but it had to be through these very specific ways and rituals and people. And no, no, Jesus said, I'm just going to come. I'm going to die. I'm going to open up a door for you to have a relationship directly with God through me. And he increased our access to God's power. God sent his mighty power to us in the form of a helpless babe. That's mind-blowing in and of itself, isn't it? Right? God sent the mighty power of God that created all things in the form of this helpless baby in a manger, all so that we could have greater access to this power. Jesus wants to bring this power to your life. Which brings us to the second point today. Not only is Jesus the manifestation of God's power, but Jesus manifests God's power in real lives of real people. 
Jesus manifests God's power in the real lives of real people. Let me give you some examples here from his life. So if you've got your Bible, flip over to Matthew chapter 8. Okay, I'll wait on you. Go ahead, do it right now. Come on. Let me hear the pages turning. Matthew chapter 8. That's a, that's a pretty noise. We love that here, man. God's word moving. That's good. Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to be starting in verse 5. This first story we see here from Jesus' life is him showing his power, the manifestation of God's power over sickness. Look at verse 5. It says, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to one, come, and he comes. I say to one, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Look down at verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So we see Jesus' power here over sickness, but it starts with this idea of authority. The centurion, who was like a, a general, or basically in the Roman army, right, comes up and says, like, hey, Jesus, my servant's sick. Can you heal him? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll come to you. He's like, no, no, you don't have to come to the house. Like, I, I know you have authority. I know you have the power. That's what authority means, right? It's power to command things to happen. He's like, you have the authority. You have the power. Just say it, and it'll happen, right? I know what authority is. I tell my soldiers, go over here and come over there and do this and do that, and they do it. You have that same kind of power, Jesus. Just, just say it. And so Jesus says, go, let it be done. And in that moment, it says the servant was healed. But it all hinged, did you catch the middle part there? It all hinged on the centurion's faith. Not the power, Jesus had the power. But the experiencing of the power came through faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, now Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith and hope are very closely tied together. We talk a lot about hope around the Christmas season, and faith and hope are very closely tied together. And here what we see is the centurion had that. Did, did he know for sure that Jesus would heal his, his servant? Did he know it was going to happen? He couldn't control Jesus, right? He couldn't make Jesus do anything, right? If, if you think you can control God or command God to do anything, you're, you're sadly mistaken. He didn't know, but he had faith. He had hope that Jesus would do what he could do to save his servants. And so he came with that faith, with that hope in Jesus, in Jesus' power, and he got to experience it firsthand. Another story. Look a little bit further down in chapter 8. Go to verse 23 now. Not only did Jesus have power over sickness, Jesus has power over nature or over creation. Verse 23, it says, And when he got in the boat, Jesus that is, and his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. 
And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I think this is just like hilarious. So all these guys get in the boat, they're going across, big storm picks up, which you know is a huge storm because like half the guys in the boat are like like veteran fishermen, right? So like they've seen some they've seen some storms before. They know how to weather the storms, they know how to do the boat thing. And and this storm comes up and they're freaking out, right? And so they go looking for Jesus, and what's Jesus doing? He's just sleeping, right? He's sleeping through the storm. Right? He doesn't care. Why? Why is Jesus not afraid? Why is he able to sleep through this crazy storm? Because Jesus knew that his power was greater than the storm. Jesus had no doubt about that. He had no worry about that. He had no fear that he could not handle it if the storm got bad. So he's just sleeping. So they come and they wake him up and they're like, Jesus, you got to save us. You got to save us. He says, oh, you have little faith. Why did they have little faith? Why were they scared? Why were they so fearful? Because they knew they could not control the storm. That they didn't have the power. A couple weeks ago, Sunday afternoon, I'm like dead asleep on the couch. And all of a sudden, my daughter comes in and she's yelling. She's like, daddy, daddy, wake up, wake up. And I'm like, what? I wake up and the tornado siren is going off in our neighborhood. And she's like, tornado siren, tornado siren. And she's like freaking out. And so I'm like, okay, everybody, down in the basement. Let's go down in the basement. Come on. So we all get down in the basement and wait for the coast to clear. And, and you, know, you know what I didn't do? I didn't be like, hey, everybody out on the front lawn. Let's go watch the twister. Why didn't I do that? Because I don't have the power to stop the storm. And I'm well aware of that. Right? I don't have that power. You don't have that power. You know who has that power? Jesus has that power. That's the kind of power we're talking about. He was the manifestation of God's power. And when he tells the sea to stop, it stops. And the guys are like, whoa, who is this dude? <laughs> Even the winds and the waves obey him. They saw and experienced Jesus' power firsthand. He has power over nature. He has power over sickness. But most of all, he has power over death. Flip over to John 11. A couple more pages over in your Bible. John 11. This is kind of a long story, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to kind of read it in snippets, okay? Just kind of give you the idea of the power of Jesus in this situation. John 11 story about Lazarus. Verse 1 says, Now a certain man was ill. That's Lazarus. Lazarus of Bethany. Verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. All right, so are you following this? Lazarus is sick, about to die. The sisters say, hey, Jesus, come help us. You, the one you love is sick. So this is a family that Jesus cares about deeply. Right? He loves the sisters. He loves Lazarus. Look at verse 6. So, the conjunction words in the Bible are super important. All right? He loves them, so when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. What? 
Does that register for anybody else, right? Like, I love you. Uh, Good luck with that. I'm going to stay here for two more days. That's what he did. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Like, we just came from there, Jesus. You almost died. Do you remember that part? Like, do you really want to go back there? Verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. How did Jesus know that Lazarus had died? Did somebody come and tell him? Did he get a telegram or a text message or like the, no, no. Jesus knew because he has power. He says, Lazarus has died, but I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? So that you will believe. See, the, what, what's about to happen here is not just about Jesus showing his power to, to heal or his power to bring someone back from the dead. It's about showing his power so that their faith will increase. He has power to increase and grow our faith as well. Look at verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> Lack of faith, Right? This dude's on a suicide mission. So, hey, let's go too. Right? We might as well fall with him. He's, he's, our, he's our guy, right? So they had no faith that he was able to handle this. They think they're all going to die. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, that doesn't seem like a big detail there to us, but it was a big detail to them because in the Jewish custom... When someone died, the Jews had the superstition that they believed that when somebody died, that their soul hovered over their body for three days. And within three days, if the right thing happened, the right amount of prayer or whatever, the soul would re-enter the body and they would be alive. But by the end of three days, the soul was gone, and that was it for you. Lights out. Not coming back from that. Right? So you can read this as when... It was the fourth day since Lazarus died, meaning like he's not just dead. He's like, he's dead, dead now, right? Like that's what four days means. Like he's dead, dead. He ain't coming back. This is a done deal. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, good, your brother will rise again. Look at Martha. But Martha said to him, well, I know he'll rise again in the last days. That's not what I'm talking about, Jesus, right? Like, catch a clue. And Jesus is like, I don't think you're catching the clue. Like, I just told you, I'm going to bring him back to life. But she doesn't get it. She's missing the faith that Jesus can actually do this. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the God who is coming. So she goes in like this little like script. She's got, yeah, I believe you're the Christ, the son of God, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, 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 I don't think you do. I just told you I'm going to bring back to life. And you're like, yeah, later, maybe, not now. He's like, I'm I'm, I'm getting ready to do this. Do you believe? Yeah, I believe. I don't think you do. (laughs) Verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? In other words, 
Couldn't the guy who healed all those other people have come and healed this guy? So they believe him. They have enough faith in him for healing because they've seen it. They don't have enough faith in him to bring somebody back from the dead. 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha said of the dead, said of the dead man, said to him, sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for it's been four days. Remember the four days thing, right? She's like, he's dead, dead. It's going to stink. In the King James Version, if you anybody read King James, it says that he stinketh. Right? Like that's, that's how they say it. Like, this is, is going to be bad news. Right? They don't, she, she doesn't even have enough faith in Jesus to deal with the odor of the dead guy, more or less the dead part itself. Right? He says, move the stone. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? This is so important right here, guys. Check this out. Verse 40. Did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out with his hands and his feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus comes back with this final statement. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, if you have faith, if you have hope, that you will see the glory of God, a.k.a. the power of God manifest in your life. Jesus makes it clear right here that he has power over death. Is there any greater power that we can imagine? And just a few days later, he's going to show that he has power over death again when he raises himself from death. This wasn't like a one-time shot. That same power that Jesus has to raise people from the dead is the same power that he has to raise you from your spiritual death of sin. See, God knew that every single one of us was dead in our sin, dead in our trespasses, Ephesians says. That we weren't coming back. We didn't have the power to raise ourselves back to life. We didn't have the power to make it work so, God, I'm going to send one with the power. I'm going to send my son to come to be born of a virgin in a manger with no fanfare, with no following, with no big hype, with no Instagram account. Like, I'm just going to send this guy right there by himself. And he's going to live a perfect life. He's going to go willingly and die a sinner's death on the cross, crucified for my sin, in my place. He is our substitute. He took, our, he took God's wrath and, and judgment and, and punishment for us, for our sin, upon himself. He took it all. He died. He went into the grave. And three days later, by the power of God, he rose back to life. To prove that he was God, to prove that he had the power he had been claiming and showing and calling for. He said, with this power, I'm willing to forgive your sins. I'm willing to wipe the slate clean. I'm willing to give you grace instead of wrath. Mercy instead of judgment. But that power, to receive that power that saves you from your sin and gives you eternal life, what do you have to have? Faith. 
Paul says it's by grace through faith that we are saved. It's not a question of whether that God has power. It's not a question of whether or not Jesus has the power. It's whether or not you're going to receive the power through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has the power to save you if you will put your faith in him. One of the Christmas traditions at our house, we love kind of gathering around. We love watching all the, like the old Christmas movies, right? Like the, like the original, we, last night we watched the original Rudolph, right? Or Frosty or, you know, the, the Grinch or Santa Claus or, you know, the new favorite, everybody, Elf, right? Like, so we have like these Christmas movies that we watch every year and, and uh, that's a big thing for us. But one of the things that baffles me is the obsession with all of these Hallmark Christmas movies, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I don't even know if you can really qualify those as, as like real Christmas movies, but that's what they label them. I, I did some research. This year, this year, they debuted 37 new Christmas Hallmark movies. <laughs> 37, right? They started them back in October and started running these things. Like every day, I guess. I don't know. Some of y'all probably know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are probably big Hallmark movie fans. In fact, I was on Facebook this week and I came across these socks. Maybe you need to get you a pair of these. Um, like, don't bother me. I'm watching Hallmark movies, right? So, but here's the thing with Hallmark movies for me. They're all the same thing. They're all the exact same story, right? Like, she had this thing like, where, like, this guy and this girl should never be together. Like, total conflict, complete opposites, some big crisis in between them. They're never going to make it. And by the end, they're romantically whatever whatever you, depending on the movie, whatever you want to label it, okay? So, but they're together, and this couple lives happily ever after, and it goes on and so forth. And, and it's complete fairy tale, right? Let's just be honest. Like, there's some fiction to it. There's fairy tale. And I think movies like that, and we could go into all kinds of other movies too, they, start, get, they get us into this mindset of believing that certain things like that, those types of miraculous endings, only happen in fairy tales. But they only happen in fictional stories. That can't really be my life. I can't really experience a miracle like that. Right? That's for those other people. That's not for me. What I've done is too bad. Where I've been is too far gone. The decisions I've made are irreversible, unforgivable. I can't fix this. God's not willing to step into that. I'm not fit to actually have a miracle like that symbol in my life. This isn't a fairy tale after all. But God's saying, no, I've got the power to make the miracle, to make the, what you think is fictional true in the real lives of real people. We see it all throughout the Gospels over and over again, right? But somehow we start believing that it can't happen to me. But it can. God is willing to manifest his power in your life if you will believe in him. If you'll put your faith in him alone. You know, you, some of you need to quit today. You need to quit believing that fairy tale forgiveness isn't for you. 
God's willing to forgive whatever you've got, whatever you can bring to the table. Your thing is not too big, it's not too high, it's not too far for God's power to forgive and to cover with grace. God sent his mighty power to save us in the form of his sinless son. You want to see the manifestation of God's power? It's in the perfect, sinless humanity of Jesus Christ. Any of us who are honest knows that it has to be some power beyond human power for somebody to live an entire life without ever sinning. Jesus did that for you. You can have that power if you believe, put your faith in him. So Jesus is the manifestation of God's power. He does it in the real lives of real people. Last point today, Jesus will manifest God's power in my life if I put my hope in him. He will manifest his power in my life if I put my hope, my faith in him. And to illustrate this just real quick, I'm gonna give you a contrast between two men in the Bible, two powerful men who both encounter Jesus. And look at the differences in their response. The first one is Herod. We saw a little bit of him during our worship time earlier, right? And this is from Matthew chapter two. Herod, the wise men are coming to visit Jesus. They're coming to find Jesus. They're following the star and they don't know exactly where they're going. So they stop into Jerusalem. They're like, that's the biggest town. That's probably where the king's at. And so they stop and they see King Herod. They're like, hey, where's the new king? We came to worship him. And Herod freaks out, right? He's like, I don't like the idea of a new king. The scripture says that, says that he was very troubled by the news of a new king. He didn't like the idea of a Messiah coming because he had a fear of losing his power. And so he talks to his guys and then he talks to the wife. He's like, all right, here's the deal. We think he's over here. You go find him. When you find where he's at, come back and tell me you know, where he's at so I can go worship him. And when exactly did you see the star? And he, tried, he like quizzes them on all this information, right? Because manipulation is the tool that we oftentimes use to try to keep our power. If we're scared of losing some control, if we're scared of losing some power, we very quickly, our hearts run to manipulation to try to twist the situation. How can I weasel my way through this to keep hold of what I have? So he sends the wise men away, hoping they're going to come back and tell him all the, all the, the, the gossip on the new king. But they don't. They don't come back. And when he finds out they're gone, he gets furious, the scripture says. And he sends an order out to kill all the male children in the area within that same age grouping as Jesus. He, he flies off the handle and he takes this extreme measure to try to keep his power. But we find out that Joseph and Mary take Jesus. They go away. He's safe. And I love them. The Bible is just very frank about it. Like the very next verse, he's, they're like, and Herod died. Thank you very much, right? Like, like that's pretty much the end of the story. Like he doesn't get any big things. just Herod died. And Jesus comes back and he goes on and he rules. We need to understand that it is futile to worship power. 
whatever you have, whatever you're trying to hold on to, whatever control or power you're trying to, to grasp and, and to live on, it's not going to get you anywhere. It's futile. It's going to come up empty. It's going to have a crack in it. Because it's not real power. So let's look at a second guy. The second guy is Paul, also known as Saul from Acts 8 and 9. So Saul grew up a Jew, but he had Roman citizenship, which was very rare in those days for to have both. And so it made you kind of this like special elite kind of group, right? He was extremely well educated. He probably spoke four different languages. He got to go to Jerusalem and study the Hebrew scriptures under one of the most famous uh, rabbis that had ever uh, come around. He was a zealous rising star in Judaism, a Pharisee. Most likely he was had a seat on the Sanhedrin, the ruling body over the Jews at a very young age. When all this Christianity stuff broke out, they gave him the power to go and to pursue and to find and to persecute and to arrest Christians. This guy was like on the fast track to Jewish fame and position and power. I mean, he had everything going in his way. So he's on his way to Damascus to go and find some Christians and arrest them. And all of a sudden... Jesus shows up and confronts him and knocks him on his rear end. And in that moment where Paul is, or Saul is confronted with Jesus, the Messiah, the King, he humbled himself. He said, who are you? What am I doing? I don't understand. And he subjected himself. And he eventually converted to Christianity and went on to serve that same Jesus and became one of the greatest missionaries and the greatest church planters that the world has ever known. You see the difference? Herod encountered the power of Jesus and he just puffed up and dug in and I'm going to fight this and I'm going to win. I'm going to hold on to my power. And Paul said, oh, it's you? You're the one? This is where the real power's at? Fine, I'll let all of that go. I'll, I'll release and forget and walk away from everything I had if I can be a part of this. The difference is faith. Herod only had faith in himself, in his own power, in his own way, and Paul released everything he had to follow Jesus and put his faith in him alone. D.L. Moody, famous pastor, once said this. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. That we have not yet seen the type of power that God can bring into the world, the type of power that God will flood into the life of the person who follows God with fully unadulterated faith in Jesus. And so today, if we want to experience more of God's power in our life, it's going to come through greater faith in Jesus. Pastor James, hello, oftentimes defines faith like this. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. So many parts of that definition are so good, man. I don't even have time to unpack it all right now. 
believing the word of God, that what he says is true, and acting upon it, not just saying it, not just thinking it, but conforming my life to this is what God says, I'm putting my faith in it, no matter how I feel, no matter what I think or feel, or what, whether culture tells me or how, you know, not, not, not me, but what he says, because God promises a good result. He promises blessing. He promises favor. He promises power as we put our faith in him. Faith is the key to experiencing God's power through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as we close, let me just kind of give a caveat here just to make sure that you're clear on what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I said it earlier, but I just want to repeat it. Your faith does not command or control God in any way. You cannot force God's hand. You cannot put God in your debt. You cannot, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a vending machine, all right? It's not like insert faith and out comes the chips, right? Like that's not the way God works. We're, we don't get to put ourselves up above God by putting faith in God. Do you understand? We're putting faith in him because he's above us. Faith does not command or control God, but it does change my heart and prepare me to receive the blessing of power and favor that God wants to, to pour into my life as I put my faith in him. It's not about changing him, changing and controlling me, submitting, humbling, lowering myself before the God who has the awesome power. More faith, more hope equals more power. I think we all desire more power in our lives, right? I can think all the way down to kids who want to control when they get to go to bed, right? Like controlling the bedtime, you all fight over that. Or mom's like, uh-huh. and, uh, or the, the employees who want to make all the decisions and usurp the boss or the voters who want to put the right person in place so they can control the thing or, you know, dad just wanting to control the remote at home. Like there's, like everybody's looking for some power. We all want to hold on to what we have. But so oftentimes we're thinking about power wrongly. And we think that we can plug into and restore this power like this. Is that going to work? Is that going to bring any power to this situation? But most of the time, this is the way we function. We think, if I can just plug into more of my strengths, more of my abilities, more of my money, more of whatever I have, if I can just do more of my thing better, then I'll have more power. And it's useless because we're plugging into the wrong source. If you really, truly want to experience power in your life, power that lasts, power that makes a difference, power that can change things, this has to get plugged into the right source. We have to plug in to Jesus. He's the one who can bring real power to life for us. I will only experience God's power when I put my hope in Jesus rather than myself. I'll only experience, like Paul, not like Herod, 
I will only experience God's power in my life when I plug myself in to Jesus. When I put my hope and my faith in him, not in myself. This is why Jesus came. Jesus wants to manifest God's power in my life, in your life, in the real life of real people. That's what he's going for, right? He wants to manifest his power in my life, in your life. And you can experience that more this Christmas season. It's all about his birth. It's all about God wanting to connect his people back to himself. He's like, just come. Just come to me. I will fix the broken relationship. I will erase the sin. I will forgive. I will give you what you need. I will manifest my power in your life if you will put your faith in me. But it requires that, faith, hope. Will you do that? Will you submit your life in faith to Jesus and Jesus alone? If you're already a Christian, will you take another step in your walk with Christ? Will you submit another part of your life, that part of your life, that part of your heart that you've been kind of hiding over here in the closet? Like, Jesus, you can have all the other stuff, but I'm keeping this over here. Will you finally let that go? Will you finally submit that to Jesus in faith? The moment you do, power will flood your life. I promise. I've seen it. I've experienced it. But most of all, God's word says it. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to respond in worship today. Just asking God through the Holy Spirit to come and to manifest more of his power in our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for our time together today. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. Father God, forgive us for our attempts to hold on to, to chase after our own power, our own strength, Lord, thinking that that's enough, thinking that's going to satisfy. Forgive us for trying to be the king of our own lives, for sitting on the throne of our own hearts. Forgive us for putting our faith in ourselves rather than your son and his great power. Lord, right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, change our hearts. Grow us in our faith as we come, as we come under you, as we experience the greatness of who you are. You, our mighty God. Pray all this in Christ's perfect name.